Sunday, everybody. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We are concluding our relational wealth series. And as we talk about that today, I was thinking about how Sunday evenings have become probably my, uh, maybe my favorite time of the week. And that's when we have our youth life group that I get to be a part of. And we have a couple dozen youth that descend on a park. And what I realize is that every week we have to start because the, the first hour are games that we play, but we start by talking about the rules of engagement. So this past week we were playing Ultimate Frisbee. So we started by saying, this is where the goals are as we'd put out a couple cones. Then we talked about the boundary lines. Here are the boundary lines that you can't go outside of. And then here are the actual rules of how we're going to play the game. You can't take more than three steps. You have to throw. You have to do this. You have to do that. And by doing that, it presents an understanding of how we're expected to behave. What I want to talk to you today about as we conclude this series is our relational values. Our relational values, how we actually believe that God has called us to treat one another in the body of Christ. And what we might not know is that every group or every family, every organization has values. And values actually set a culture. And what I never realized is how distinct a culture my family of origin had until someone came and visited me and told me about it. So I bring my roommate home from college, and he experiences my family. And afterwards, he's kind of cracking up. And I'm like, bro, what's so funny? And he goes, I feel like I just stepped into a Jane Austen movie, like Sense and Sensibility or Emma or Pride and Prejudice. He said, you have a family member, so all you guys will be sitting around. A family member will walk up. You all stand up at attention and kind of nod at each other. And you extend your hands. You're like, hello, Uncle Lewis. Hello, Aunt Marcy. And he goes, you guys are so formal. You guys are, are so in tune to manners. And he goes, and then you sit down at the, at the long table and grandmother, that's, we didn't call her granny, we call her grandmother, Grandmother sits at the head of the table, and then there's like special seats for then her children, and then the grandchildren, and then, you know, the little kids barely even make it to the table, and then there's actual, like, it really mattered what, what place servings were, and this fork was for this, and that fork, and, and so much so that at 18 years old, what I was given as a gift was Tiffany's Book of Manners, and so maybe, maybe a little unusual, and what I didn't realize is how much that affects how you behave. So this week, I'm having this, uh, this meeting out in the city, and we're all sitting around a table, and an, an older woman walks in in the middle of the meeting without thinking of it. I, like, stand up, and I'm like, hello, like this, and everyone looks at me like, what are you, what are you doing? And I realize, oh, wow, I've, I've just, but I was behaving as my family culture had trained me. Now, my point isn't to try to have this be the best, most well-mannered church in San Diego, um, manners are actually pretty arbitrary if you've ever noticed that because different cultures think different things are polite and impolite. For example, I was in one country and they were like, don't ever show the sole of your foot. That's like the most offensive thing you can do. Or I had another friend from another country and he goes, it's so impolite if you don't sniff each other when you greet. And so he'd always come up, grab me and go, and sniff me. And um, so... Manners can be pretty arbitrary depending on the country, but what we understand from the Bible is that there are relational values that Jesus wants us to embody so that when someone comes into the family of God, they're treated in a kingdom way. They're treated in a kingdom way. So that's what we're going to dive into today 
in Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So worship isn't just what happens on the stage, but worship is actually what we do, like our behavior, our actions. That's a true worship to God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What you've probably noticed before is you meet a lot of people that say they're Christians, but they're no different than anyone in the world. And the Bible says, no, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. You shouldn't just be a normal person with a little Jesus sprinkled on you or just the name Christian, but we actually are supposed to be transformed. But we get transformed by understanding the values from Scripture that he wants us to embody. So let's just break this down phrase by phrase. First of all, you got to see that it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters. You know, when you come into the kingdom of God, you come into the church, it's very different than just going to, say, a Padres game or going to a restaurant or going to a movie theater. And in a lot of ways, the American church has been guilty of just creating a consumeristic culture where you come in and you're like, uh, I don't really like that church because the music's a little too loud or it's a l- not quite contemporary enough or that pastor's not quite funny enough. I know no one would say that here. Instead, it says, I urge you brothers and sisters. You treat a brother or sister much different than a client or a fan or an event attender. Right? There's actually expectations you have on your brothers and sisters. There's way that brothers and sisters, and there's commitments that brothers and sisters have in a healthy family. And then obviously it's saying, do not be conformed, but be transformed. So let me just say, and you've seen it in our purpose statement, what we believe is that when people join the church of Jesus, they actually get transformed. And a church is way more about transformation than information, and much more about transformation than entertainment. So it's much different, like, you know, in, in fact, if you were thinking, you know, today am I going to go to the Padres game, or am I going to go to the church? That's totally a, a, a wrong juxtaposition, right? Because one is a family, and one is entertainment. One's going to entertain you, one's going to actually transform your life. And don't think I'm against the Padres, I'm praying for them today. So let's walk through our relational values today. We have six of them as a church that are straight from the Bible. This is the the rules of engagement. This is the expectations we have when people come in to the body of Christ. So number one is humility. The scripture says this in Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Do you know that humility draws and pride repels? Humility draws people to you and pride repels you. To be humble is to be like Jesus. To be prideful is to be like Satan. 
Have you ever thought of that? Like what made the devil the devil? He was a wonderful angel, and then in pride he said, hey, I want the same glory, I want the same honor, I want the same worship as God. And what happened? That got him thrown down to be the devil. And in fact, how did the fall of man happen? It happened when the devil came and said, hey, if you take this fruit, you will be like God. So pride is what brought the fall. And what brought redemption? Humility. Philippians chapter 2. It says your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but in humility he humbled himself even to death on a cross. It is humility that saves the world. It is pride that destroys the world. It's that simple. So when you're acting prideful, you're acting like the devil. When we're acting humble, we're being like Jesus. And so it's the foundation. So, so let me just say this. In the kingdom of God, there should not be celebrities in the church. So we do Christianity, we do the kingdom a horrible disservice when we make people into Christian celebrities. Why? Because why do we make celebrities? Because we were made to worship. Did you know that there is actually, this is by a, a secular institution, they've coined this disorder called celebrity worship syndrome. This is by the University of Leicester in England, and it says that a whopping 36% of British citizens suffer from this disorder. Psychologists say that CWS is an obsessive, addictive disorder in which a person becomes involved with the details of celebrities' personal life. And I know everyone's thinking, man, those Brits, they're in trouble. No, can I just say, America's worse, right? We're, we're even worse, but we make everything a celebrity, right? And we have whole magazines, whole websites, whole TV shows, right? And we, we are addicted to watching the latest celebrity on TikTok or on Instagram, and it's actually become a disorder where it affects our life. Right, So what I want to challenge us is reject the temptation to worship celebrities. Well, it's natural in us, but what it indicates is that we're not worshiping Jesus. There's only one person to be worshipped. You will, but here's, the, here's what you need to know about yourself. You will worship someone. And if you don't put Jesus in his rightful place, then you will worship the person in whatever sector of society that you were drawn to, right? So we worship Jesus and we choose humility. And humility is the foundation for how we treat each other in the body of Christ. Let's go to Romans 12, 4 through 5. For just as each one of us, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I have never seen a movie about a thumb. That would be the most lame, you know, oh, hello, I'm a, you know, Mr. Thumb, the adventures of Mr. Thumb, right? That would be the most lame old movie. A thumb is just one member of a body, and without a forefinger, you know, so someone is a thumb, someone's a forefinger. I'm not going to tell anyone that they're this finger, um, but we, we're all different members of one body. And so when we get lost in thinking the story's all about us, we're being foolish because it takes every member of every body to create a whole person. Then he goes on to say this. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. Given each of us. To, to who? 
Is the grace given to each of us? So every single person in this room has a gift. That's why, you know, we get, we get in trouble when the church becomes about a celebrity. Or I'm going to hear this worship leader or this speaker and we put them on a pedestal. That's not being the church. That's being a concert, right? That's being a TED Talk. But what the church is, is it's a family where each person has a gift. So listen to this. It says this, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. So that's saying, like, if God's given you a gift of, like, hearing from him and speaking that over people, then please do it. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So this is actually what we believe about the church, that that church is not just coming together to receive something, but that every time you come, you're thinking, how am I going to contribute? There is someone here that needs something that you have to bring them. And when we come with that attitude, then it says the whole body of Christ is built up. It says this, do it diligently. And that's where we get value number two, is hard work. Hard work. So what we're believing for is not just a, a church of attenders, not just fans, but people that work hard. And, so, and you see that. You see that when you drive up. There are people in the parking lot. There's safety people. There's people serving coffee. There's people working with the children. There's all kinds of there's a gazillion people in the band. Why? Because we actually don't believe that, that we're just here to entertain. What we believe is we're serving the Lord. And that it's right to serve other people. And, and that's what a healthy... A healthy family is like, um, when we bought our house, we, we were trying to get a place for years, and we finally found one that was foreclosed, and it had a, about an acre of land that was just a mess, like no landscaping, no, just, just trash everywhere, and, and an absolute mess. And so I had that expectation as a father, like I don't have the money to just hire someone to do it, but I do have a big family. So I expected all of us to be out doing that. And that, that here's the interesting thing about the father, remember this parable, having that expectation is it gets into the children. So this week, we were digging this big hole on the piece of property. And I loved it that one of my sons looked at the other one and is like, hey, get to work. He actually was challenging the other one. because Why? Because they, he knows the expectation in our family is to get to work. He's actually just coughing on the front row going, <coughs> We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. Then it goes on to say, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. One of the healing attributes of the body of Christ when it's being as it should be, as lined out in the New Testament, is honor esteems worth on people. I can't tell you how many people I've seen through the years that will come into a life group and it'll be their birthday and we'll put them in the center and encourage them and they'll have tears in their eyes and they'll be like, I've never experienced that before. Wait, honor calls out the gold in people. Honor esteems value. In the Old Testament, the word for honor is kabod, which means heaviness or weightiness. 
the, the, the world treats people as disposable, right? The, the world, a person is a means to an end, right? We see that through things like abortion. We see that through things where people can are just, you know, this people can just die or get killed in another country. We, it just doesn't affect us. People, uh, we can just drive past people that are in need. It doesn't matter. The kingdom treats people as weighty, that each person has a, a heaviness or a weight about them. They're not, they're not just trash to be done away with. Um, the New Testament word is tameo, right? And tameo means a, a, a value or has a, a high price or cost to each of, of them. And I, I, I thought about an experience I had in college. I was studying in England and I would run out, I'd go on these long walks, and it was interesting how, you know, you'd see, you might see a person with a piece of trash, or they just throw it away. There was a park where people would just have trash, and they'd just be kind of, you'd just see how people treat a piece of trash, versus on my same run, I'd run by the Tower of London. And in the Tower of London were the crown jewels, England's greatest treasures. And it was so interesting that I, I would watch every day how people would line up. They would pay money, and then they would line up to view. They would, they would wait to view this treasure. And they would stand in line, and then they'd get to the treasure, and you'd watch them how they would stop and stare. And then they'd move to a different angle to see a different angle of it. And then there were even guards surrounding it because it was so costly. And my question for us as the church is, do we treat people like trash? That we just move past, we just discard, just say, get out of my way? Or do we treat them like treasure? Do you, do you have that picture of the treasure? Uh, because people, there is, there is no person that isn't f- worth far more than the most costly crown or jewel. They're made in the image of God. He breathed his very life into them. And so we are to, to treat each person as so much more valuable than England's greatest treasures that people stand in line and take time to gaze upon. And they even have guards because they're so important to not be stolen. Is that how we treat people, church? Is that how we see each person? How, how can we honor people? We can honor people by actually taking time to see them. Uh, we can honor people by actually trying to remember people's names. I'm horrible at remembering names, so you'll see me often writing people's names down in my phone because I know how much it esteems worth when we remember names. When we talk to people and actually ask them how they're doing, that brings honor to a person. Let's keep going because the next one is a way to show honor, which is this in Romans 12, 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is one of the greatest ways that we show honor to people. You'll notice in the English language, the word hospitality uh, has hospital in the word. Uh, Practicing hospitality, showing honor like that actually heals people's wounds. It lets them understand because the world, the enemy is always trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But hospitality instead is giving. Hospitality actually is sharing. Hospitality is saying, You are worth my time and investment. But the interesting thing about hospitality is in the Greek language, it's a compound word of the word philo, which is the word for brotherly love, phileo, and zania, which is the word for stranger. So literally, hospitality means love strangers. 
Okay, first of all, man, we're, we're taught to run from strangers. Don't look at strangers. Don't have, your mama told you, never talk to a stranger. The church is called to actually love strangers, to actually love and practice hospitality to people that you don't even know. Like, it's, it's normal to think, okay, I'm having the family over for Thanksgiving, and are we going to prepare a nice table, and is it going to be beautiful? Or you might be having your friends over to a birthday party. Okay, I want to, 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 to make it a, a nice and charming and, 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 and really thoughtful night. But when a stranger serves you, it takes your breath away. When a, when a stranger serves you, it actually demonstrates unconditional love because they don't know you, and they're not going to get anything from it. I, I had this experience. We were uh, coming back from a trip to New Mexico. I had borrowed a friend's van, and in the desert, I'm, I'm pulling up to uh, a gas station, and the van just shuts down. It, the whole system just shuts down, and we're stuck in the desert, and I'm like, oh, boy. And I'm, I'm there for a little while. I'm trying to do all these tinker around things. And I'm not even very good with my own cars. So I'm really not good with a, a car I hadn't been in before. And I'm, I'm kind of panicky. And I'm sitting in this, this, this sprinter. And a sprinter pulls up next to me. And I'm going, oh, thank you, Lord. Um, and this man gets out. And uh, can we put that picture up? And he comes over and he spends the next 45 minutes just working with me, helping me, talking me through this video. Like, he gains nothing. He'll, he's never seen me before. He'll never see me again. I'm wondering if he's an angel. And I'm thinking, but certainly angels don't have to wear camo headsets to talk to heaven. So I don't think he was an angel. But I was so impacted by his kindness. And as I talk to him more and I'm asking about his life, He's like, yeah, I help at-risk teenagers. I'm like, of course you do. Of course that's the kind of guy you are. And I'm like, hey, I'd love to pray for you. I love Jesus. He's like, me too. I'm like, of course. Of course that's what you're like. Because who else just does this kind of thing? But my breath was taken away. And of course, so much so that I'm like, can I get a picture with you? Just to remind myself that there are people like you in this world? It took my breath away. It totally impacted me. We want to be a people of hospitality. When we do that, we, we, people walk away feeling the unconditional love of God. So thank you for all of you that, that do that on Sunday mornings. And I, I just encourage everyone to, to serve in some kind of way. But let me just tell you, you know, you might say, hey, my main gift is not to be behind the coffee counter on a Sunday morning, Robert, or might not be to be a greeter. But can you turn and say hi to a stranger? I, I want to encourage you, don't ever come to this church without saying hi to someone. Because you might be the only person that says hi to that person all week. And if there's one place we need to feel hospitality, it's the body of Christ. So say hi to someone. Or, you know, you meet someone outside and, and that you can tell they're alone. Say, hey, would you like to sit with me? I know we're American. I know we like our space. Okay? But this is not an airplane. You don't need the whole row. Right? You're just going to be here for an hour. So inviting someone to sit next to you, it's, it's, or just saying, hey, can we grab coffee? A few bucks, a few bucks, I guess coffee's not a few bucks anymore, it's like 17 bucks, but a cup of coffee, it's amazing how much that ministers to someone's heart when, when someone buys something for you. So let's practice hospitality, number five, number five, we have two more, number five, rejoice, this is 
Romans 12, 15 through 16, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. What is this presupposing? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That is presupposing that we are going to be honest and vulnerable. Um, when you come into the body of Christ, you don't have to put on your perfect face. One of the things that breaks my heart is occasionally I'll hear someone say, you know, I was just so sad, so I couldn't go to church that week. No, th- this is the, if there's any place you should be able to be sad and be real, it's the people of God. Like, th- you, you need to be able to be, that's why we actually have it on a wall. Get rocked, get real. Get real. Why? Because when we're humble, when, we, when we're, we're authentic with where we're at, then God can come. Then people can meet us. You desperately need empathy in life. So how, how do you do this? Someone says, hey, man, how you doing? You don't have to say, dude, I'm great when your life stinks. You can actually say, hey, my life stinks right now. And you know what, what that does? That, that opens the door for someone to step into your world and give you empathy and, and give you care and, and listen to your heart. Now, you don't need to do that to everyone, but this is a place where you can be authentic, where you can be real. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. It's, it's, it's interesting how when we try to put up a, a, a facade that it keeps people from drawing near to us and it keeps you from getting the help you need. I, we just had our big Freedom Day and, and this place was packed with, with people coming to get touched by the Lord. And I had a pastor friend tell me the other day, he goes, that would never happen in my church. And I said, why not? He goes, because people would never admit they have problems. And I was like, man, that's all we do in our church. Like every sermon I tell people about my problems. But why? Why would I be real? It's because I want us to know it's broken people coming into the presence of a powerful God. And the Bible says, humble yourself under God's right, mighty right hand so he can lift you up. So the way that we surround each other is when we know that we actually have need for each other. Number six, last one. Well, let me, let me just say this. Um, you know, so many people have gotten helped through 12-step programs like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, why? The first step is so powerful. It says this, we admit that we are powerless. We admit that we're powerless over alcohol or we admit that we're powerless over drugs. When we actually admit that we have need, it draws people near and God can draw near to us. Number six, healthy conflict. Number six, in a kingdom culture, you have healthy conflict. Anyone love healthy conflict out there? Yeah, I got two hands. Y'all are definitely Enneagram 8s. No, we actually should all love healthy conflict because healthy conflict makes us better. Listen to this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 
If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12, 17 through 19. Uh, For me, healthy conflict is very hard because... I was making a joke about the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram 7. If you don't know what the Enneagram is, it's a personality study, and different numbers have different traits. An Enneagram 7 is the enthusiast or the adventurous or the, or the enthusiastic visionary. In life, I like people to have fun. In life, I like people to be happy. So I don't like conflict. I, I shy away from conflict. But here's what happened to me in my younger years. I, I, my, that same roommate that came to my house and helped me understand my family culture, um, we were on a trip together, and he gets on the van and had done something embarrassing, and so wonderful best friend I was, I point it out, make a joke about it, and the whole vehicle starts laughing. And I'm thinking, I'm awesome, man. I just made a joke. That was great. He pulls me over afterwards and says, hey, man, when you did that, That hurt my feelings. And when he said that to me, that broke my heart. Because I realized, man, in life, I want to be a blessing to people. And instead, I just hurt my best friend. And what that did is it had me start thinking about my behavior. About why do I always have to point someone out when they make a mistake? Why do I turn it? into a joke. It's because I want attention. I'm not thinking about their feelings. And so his confrontation, his healthy conflict actually changed how I behaved. The Bible says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Right? The the Bible talks about what happens when you rebuke a fool, right? That they'll lash out at you, but the Bible explains that you rebuke a wise person and they'll be wiser still. How we're transformed is through healthy conflict. This is what Matthew 18 says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of them. If they listen to you, you have won them over. The the thing about healthy conflict, we don't like to have it because we think we're going to step on people's toes and we think we're going to break apart relationships. If, If healthy conflict breaks apart a relationship, you didn't have a relationship. You had an acquaintance. But healthy conflict actually brings intimacy. It actually brings you closer together. It forms a bond that you realize, oh, we walked through the fire and our relationship endured. Uh, Anytime a a young couple, they'll say, they'll come up to me and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And they're like, we've never had a fight. And they're expecting me to go like, oh, you are amazing. Like speak at our next marriage conference. And instead I'll, I'll, I'll look at them and be like, you're in trouble. Because one of you is being fake. Because <laughs> no two people see the same thing. So someone's not being real here. But healthy conflict, it actually grows people. Let me give you three things as we kind of finish this message that healthy conflict does. Number one, it keeps our hearts clean. Uh, you will be hurt in any family. You will be hurt in this church. Why? Because hurting people hurt people. And every one of us has been hurt. None of us were treated perfect in our family of origin. None of us have been treated perfect by our friendship group or our neighborhoods. So then you have hurt, and that hurt causes you at times to hurt other people, right? Everyone who's married, say amen, right? Um, 
But here's what healthy conflict does is it keeps our hearts clean. Because instead of letting that hurt fester in you and cause sickness, you actually bring it out and you work through it. And when you work through it, you even forgive. You're able to offer forgiveness. So what we often do is someone hurts us and we're like, I'm hurt, and we don't talk to them. We go and find someone else or someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else. And we build a little faction in the church and we end up hurting that person more, okay? And that's why that, that my second point is it not only keeps our hearts clean because we bring it out and then we can forgive and be forgiven and we can work through and we can grow, but number two, it keeps our church clean. You being willing to have healthy conflict actually keeps our church clean. So many times a conflict is a misunderstanding, right? I, I use this illustration all the time, but it's we don't have enough bathrooms here and so sometimes you're like, man, I looked at that person and they just looked at me so angrily. They weren't angry at you. They needed to go to the bathroom. But instead, you just go home and you're like, man, that person's just angry at me. But if you would have walked up to them and said, hey, I felt like you looked at me with a harsh look. And they're like, no, I just really had to pee. Then you could have worked through it. But instead, you went home rejected, and then you went and talked to, 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 to Stephanie about how you're rejected by this person. When if you would have just talked to it, you would have just found out, oh, you need to pee. And they're like, I need to pee too. Oh, my gosh, I love you. Right? It keeps the church clean. Uh, thirdly, it helps us and others change. It helps us and others change. Because like when my roommate confronted me, on my behavior, it let my heart be broken for my sin, and it made me cry out to God and say, God, I don't want to be like that anymore. Why do I feel like I need to make fun of people for me to feel good about myself? And that actually drew me closer to God, and it drew me closer to him because I thought, you know what? He's a true friend. Because a true friend, the Bible says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. It helped me change. It helped me become more of the man I am today. So church, let's be a, a people who agree that when we have offenses or when there's sin, that we will go and speak the truth and love. The difference between healthy conflict and unhealthy conflict is unhealthy conflict is intentionally trying to hurt someone and healthy conflict is intentionally trying to help someone. So here's the deal. Let me just finish with this. Um, you know that that I started talking about ultimate Frisbee and, and our Sunday nights and how we talk about the rules of engagement. The interesting thing is we had two different teams and only one team won. But what I noticed is that we were walking off the field that everyone was enjoying it and that we were all walking off as a tighter community. Why? Because we understood the rules of engagement. Church, these things that we're talking about today, they aren't easy. But here's the thing, as we try to align ourselves with God's purposes, he promises us to give us his power to enable us to live a kingdom lifestyle and to create a kingdom culture. Let's stand up. Can we just put these um, relational values back up on the screen? And here's how I want us to respond. Would you look at these and today, would you actually ask God, God, which of these are you calling me to grow in? Like, what's the area that you're highlighting? What's the area that you're highlighting? Humility, 
hard work, honor, hospitality, honesty and vulnerability, healthy conflict. Which one are you speaking today, Lord, that you want me to take a step in? And why don't we close our eyes? Let's just put our hands on our heart. And would you just spend a moment just asking God to give you grace to move forward in the one he's impressing on your heart today.